I thought uh, this morning uh, about how um, so often uh, a son, a young man, or, or a daughter even, might be rushing, getting, getting, uh, trying to get out the door, and and uh, maybe they're running late, maybe they're off to something important, maybe they're trying to look their best, and the questions go out to their mom: Is there anything to eat? Have you washed my favorite shirt? I haven't seen it in a while. Is it washed? Uh, where's my water bottle? Maybe the mom is saying, have you thought about this? Don't forget that. And, and one such mom, as her son was rushing out the door, uh, th- thinking, okay, I'm set. Mom sat there and think, you know, if, if life was the Indy 500, moms would be in charge of the pit stops and getting them back on their way. I think of uh, how easy it is for, for that person, that son or that daughter to leave the house and, and think, I'm all put together. I've got it all under control. I've got it handled. Uh, when they never could have even gotten out the door with both of their shoes if it hadn't been for their mom. Somehow we, we leave the house in this situation when we think we got, it, we got all there on our own. Maybe think of a, uh, of a popular song, uh, uh, the lyrics that say, I got gas in the tank, I got money in the bank, I got news for you, baby, you're looking at the man. I got skin in the game, I got a household name, I got news for you, baby, you're looking at the man. When it comes to Friday, I always earn. Don't try to teach me, I got nothing to learn. Because, baby, I'm gifted, you see what I mean? USDA certified lean. The fact is, 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 is for this person and for all of us, it's in the storms of life that we realize how easily we're lost at sea. Or we come to realize that we are lost at sea, especially if we're, we're living life with this mentality. We're learning today of how God grows us through the storms of life. And we're learning from Peter, the Simon Peter and the disciples and, and their experience with Jesus. And, and just in the context, our, our passage begins with, and immediately this happened. Just kind of let you know of the context of what's going on here. Uh, sometime earlier, Jesus learns about his cousin, his friend, John the Baptist, has been executed by Herod. And it says, and he went on the other side of the Sea of Galilee to be alone. He was grieving. And sure enough, his disciples find him there. And sure enough, a crowd follows his disciples. And they find him there. And there, there's a huge crowd building. And it, and it says, Jesus turns and he taught them. And he, and he healed their sick. And, and sure enough, uh, time goes on. And, and, and nobody's got anything for them to eat. And Jesus performs one of, one of his uh, most commonly known miracles and, and feeding the 5,000. In fact, that's the, just the men that counted 5,000. He fed 5,000 men plus the, the women and children. And, and, and as the crowd is getting excited about this and, and whispers are going around and they think, we found a king that has his own food truck. We are set. Jesus seeing that, that the excitement is building over the earthly things that, that they might be able to get from him, uh, we pick up in verse 22 where it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. When it says it talks about the, the boat being a long way from the land, the land, the Sea of Galilee, from this point to the point that they were traveling over to, is, is four to five miles across. That's between here and Crawfordsville. And they were about halfway across. And we, we know from the geography, and as it still happens today, from the geography of the sloping land uh, down to the Sea of Galilee, that storms can whip up through downdrafts and such so quickly there. And, and they find themselves caught in a storm, the wind actually blowing against them as they're trying to make their way across the Sea of Galilee. And Mark 6 actually tells us that Jesus sees them struggling on the waves. And what's going on here is is in uh, submission to the Father, in dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's like God, God the Father says, okay, I'm going to let you use your ability to see beyond what is typically visible and see your disciples out there struggling on the water. And we read in verse 25, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, there's that word again, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Describes the fourth watch of the night here. See, the Roman military had divided the night time between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. into four different three-hour watches. And we would assume that the disciples get into the boat before night fell and they weren't expecting you know, any problems or anything like that. We, we see here they are the fourth watch of the night. They've been struggling at the oars for at least nine hours. I mean, this is one of those shorter than a three-hour tour like, the, like Gilligan and his friends set out on that turned into something bigger than they even ever expected it to be. And we read in verse 28, And Peter answered him, as Jesus says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him this, this uh, crazy statement, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, that wind he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Looking for God to deliver us is a common theme throughout scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, and, and it centers around uh, floods and waters and things as well. We, we know of Noah and his family being saved from the flood, um, uh, even while everyone and everything else perished. And the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea with water on both sides of them, that Red Sea that had previously trapped them and pinned them between Pharaoh's army and it. Psalm 69, verse 1 through 3, describes uh, what seems like a person uh, crossing a stream and what oftentimes happens to someone uh, in Sugar Creek. They, they hit a dip in the, in the, in the stream bed and, and in fact their feet get caught in, in the, the, um, the bottom of the stream. We, we read, save me, O God, 
for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. It's a theme throughout Scripture of us waiting, of us falling into a situation where God needs to come and rescue us. But we're rarely willing to accept the idea that God in his sovereignty might allow us to fall into that situation. Or even though he could remove the storm, that he allows us to continue through the storm itself. It makes me think of the song, sometimes he calms the storms, but other times he calms his child. I want to challenge you, first of all, here this morning, to trust that God sends you into storms. You're like, what? How how is that helpful? To trust that he sends me into storms. Because I would bet that every single one of us, to one degree or another, are in what we feel like is a storm of life right now. And trust that God has a purpose for it. He has a purpose for it. Their boat was beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. You're probably feeling that way. They'd faced a storm before with Jesus in the boat with them, if you recall. And and Jesus stands up and he tells the the wind and the waves to to be still. And his disciples respond to that, asking each other, what kind of man is this? But here we find them in the storm without Jesus. And Warren Wearsby points out what is clear about the situation. He asks, did Jesus know that the storm was coming? Certainly. Did he deliberately direct them into the storm? Yes. The Apostle Paul went through storms. He of all people deserved, if somebody deserves not to go through storms, if that's what it's based on, it certainly would have been him. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And I love this statement. But that was to make us rely. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He continues in verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and, we w- and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We learn to experience God, we experience his deliverance through the very storms of life that he allows us. Even, I would say, the majority of them he sends us into. The storms that God takes us through remind us of his power to preserve us. We're taught in numerous places that God uses every trial as an opportunity for our good to deepen our relationship with him. You might be thinking about James 1, 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
I remember hearing a story once about Mike, uh, the swim coach of Michael Phelps, the, the epic Olympic athlete, Michael Phelps. I think probably the most decorated athlete, uh, Olympic athlete that, that um, we have. And, and, <clears throat> and it turns out, I, I looked this up, his, his uh, coach's name is Bob Bowman. I had an uncle named Bob Bowman, but not not uh, he wasn't coaching Michael Phelps. But um, and when when he would see that Phelps was in a meet, not not certainly not an Olympic event, but in a meet as he was growing as a swimmer, as he when he would see that he was in a meet that was going to be piece of cake for him, he would think of ways to challenge him so that he was going to learn and grow from that swim meet. And I remember learning about one time when, when he looked over and he saw an opportunity. And that was as Michael was getting stuff out of his bag and getting things ready, he saw that his goggles were laying on the floor. So Mike uh, Phelps's coach just walks over and steps on him, just keeps walking on by. And Phelps, you know, didn't even realize that this had happened until he dove into the water and his goggles fill with pool water. And he had to swim the whole race blind. But he counted his strokes. He felt for the wall. He still won the race. But he won it stronger than he would have otherwise if his coach had not gone and done something cruel like that. Quote, unquote, cruel, if you will. One author says, Many Christians have the mistaken idea that obedience to God's will produces smooth sailing. But this is not true. Jesus promises in John 16, in this world, you shall have tribulation. When we find ourselves in the storm because we have obeyed the Lord, we must remember that he brought us here and he can care for us. That's hard for us to stomach. The, the fact is, the biblical fact is, is that, that God is sovereign over us. We live in his dominion. We, there's nowhere we can go in this universe where he's not in charge. And we are morally responsible for the choices and the decisions that we make. Understand that the, the lie you're sold in the world right now uh, tells us that you are sovereign. You are in charge. And God is morally responsible to you. That's why people throw their arms up, you know, when there's a natural disaster or when something happens to them. And it's like, where was God? I mean, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He has a responsibility to be what I think he should have been at that moment. Because the lie that's being sold in our world is you are sovereign and God is morally responsible to you. But don't be mistaken. God is sovereign over us. We are morally responsible to him. And, and when he allows us to go through storms, it does not change any of that. But the fact is, is that that lie that the world is selling, it doesn't hold up under storms for the very reason that it will cause people to no longer believe in this God that they fit into some cubbyhole that he doesn't fit into. What storm does God have you in right now? Medical challenges? Financial challenges? Relational challenges? All of the above? Probably. 
you know, for a mom, one, an additional difficulty is that a lot of the storms that you're in, you're not in it. But someone else that you love is in one. And therefore you're in it. And that's hard. God is not asleep at the weather machine, folks. God is not asleep at the helm. He takes us exactly where he intends for us to go, for us to grow and to understand who he is and who we are. There a, was a phenomenon of, in the past years of what's called helicopter parents. And that means they just kind of hover over their kids all the time. Well, we have a new phenomenon in our uh, day called snowplow parents, all right? You've seen this on the news lately. Uh, you know, powerful, wealthy, influential people that, that had even um, bribed college officials, bribed college coaches, uh, bribed admissions counselors so that they could get their kids into the school that they think their child needs to be at in order to succeed, in order to excel. They're those snowplow parents that just move away every hindrance to allow their child to, to walk through life unscathed. And, and the fact is, is what they're finding is that, that kids that, uh, that are um, experience that once they come under the the trials of life that parents just can't take care of for them, they wither. They crumble. They haven't been built, they haven't been strengthened by those trials that they should have been allowed to go through. The fact is this. God is not a snowplow God. He, does not, he doesn't have this idea that, that we have in our mind of what he should be, of just remove all the obstacles, just spread every, every uh you know, problem out of the way so that I can just walk right through unscathed. None of us know how much of God of life's challenges are held at bay by God. And I, I, I assure you that there are plenty of storms that he keeps away from us, that he keeps us out of, that they are great in number and great in magnitude, but the ones that he allows us to go through, he has a purpose for them. I think we see the purpose, the ultimate purpose, the greatest purpose at the end of our passage here this morning. And the fact is, is the person that believes that, that they, or, or disbelieves God and, and refuses to believe in God because where was he when this happened? You know, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-loving, why didn't he fix this? Why didn't he take care of this? That person that, that disbelieves in God for that, the greatest thing that they need is to go through some storms. To, to get that boat battered, to get that mast broke, to, to, to get uh, whatever it is that they think that life is about, that they think that life is supposed to be full of, and put their eyes and their mind on what life is truly about, on the eternal, on what is going to last for millions and millions of years after this world and everything that they're hoping in has passed away and passed by the wayside. The greatest thing that they need is to be brought to a place where they realize my soul is what really matters. Because you know what? Your soul is what really matters to God. Not your comfort. 
Not your stuff. Your soul. And when somebody's brought to that place and they hear the gospel and God opens their eyes, they come to the reality, God has already taken care of my soul. If I will just receive his care. God has taken all of my sins on his son and paid for them. God has paved the way for me to be able to have relationship with him and for for that to be eternal life, that my soul could be with him for eternity. Why wouldn't I want that? And it's the storms that are intended to take them there. And it's those storms that they usually spend the first however long it takes shaking their fist at him. But it's what they need. And I want to challenge you thirdly to trust that God meets you in the storms. It's what happened here. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I, I love that, that that term is used again immediately. Jesus isn't sitting there going, oh, I'm going to let this go a little longer. I wish I had my phone with me. I would get this on video. You know, this is going to go viral. No, it says immediately. He says, take heart. That means be having courage. Do not be afraid means stop fearing. But the central pivot point of those two commands is it is I. Jesus isn't being arrogant here. He's being realistic. I'm what you need, and I am here. We've all seen like the, the scenes where uh, a boat is being battered out at sea, and that Coast Guard helicopter is doing their job and hovering over the boat, and, and that one person's dropping down in and getting this, uh, people secured and pulling them up and pulling them out and getting them out of there. And that's their job. That's not what Jesus does. He comes into the storm. He comes into the storm. That's what the incarnation is. God taking on flesh, entering into our world. And I love how uh, Jesus is described here. One of the other accounts, it says that he was walking as if he was just going to pass them by. You know, he's, he's sitting there walking on the water and it's almost like, he's like, oh, is it storming out? Oh. He's there in confidence. He's there in power. He's there in exactly who he is. For what they need. And that is what they need is exactly who he is. It's because of the hard trying time that Jesus spent with us. That Jesus spent for us. That he can serve as our saving high priest even now. Offering up his own blood for us. That's what we're told in Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace 
grace to help in time of need. A large part of why that is available for us is because Jesus entered into our world. He entered into the storms. There is not a storm that you don't go through that he does not know. And here's the beautiful thing. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and he goes through the storms with you today. He goes through the storms with you today. He doesn't stop and go, you know what? This sin stuff, I can't go there. You're going to, this, this messy relationship, this, uh, this get-together you got to go to, it's going to be like walking on eggshells. I'm going to have to just see you afterwards. You know, I'll be in the car. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He goes there with us. No matter how grieving it is for him. And our sin, our situation is grieving for him. And it hurt for him to bear it. One of my favorite passages to read at people's bedsides when they're not doing well is from Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There's a song that, that, that follows it. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will go with you. And the winds and the waves, they will not overcome you. Do not fear, for I am with you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned, it says. The chorus says, for I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Most of that comes from Isaiah 43. Pray to know, pray to see God's presence in your storm. Pray that your loved one will see God's presence in their storm. I love what Josh Wilson says in his song, Fall Apart. Why in the world did I think I could get to know you only when my life was good, when everything just falls in place, the easiest thing is to give you praise. Now, it all seems upside down. Because my whole world is caving in. But I feel you now more than I did then. How can I come to the end of me, but somehow still have all I need? God, I want to know you more Maybe this is how it starts. I find you when I fall apart. And that's the truth. That's, that's what Peter and, and his, the disciples are experiencing here. And the third thing I want to challenge you from their experience here is to trust that God calls you to grow in the storms. He has a purpose for it, and it is growth. Peter's answer to Jesus saying, it is I, is to say, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And, and the wording here is, since it is you, command me. And when he says, command me, it's, it, the word here is the command of a king. And Peter recognizes, that uh, he recognizes Jesus on a whole nother level. 
seeing him walking on the water. This isn't who is this man. This is leading to what they say when Jesus gets into the boat. Surely this is the Son of God. And and, and what Jesus is saying, the wording here means come at once. Let's do this, Peter. I assure you, Peter did not look back at the other disciples and say, I got this. He's thinking, he's got this. He's got this. We read in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, we wonder, like, why is it, you know, Peter is like, he's fine and then he's not. You know how it is when the wind kicks up all of a sudden. It said specifically, when he saw the wind, you know, it could have been that he was like, well, it's like, okay, what am I doing out here? One writer says, now our center of interest shifts to Peter, but before we criticize Peter for sinking, let's honor him for the magnificent demonstration of faith. He dared to be different. Anybody can sit in a boat and watch, but it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on the water. Jesus isn't sitting there going, okay, Peter, well, okay, I'll give you a five. All right, that, that's your grade today. You know, you need to work on your, your uh, delivery. You need to work on keeping your eyes on me, Peter, you know, so... And when he asks him, why did you waver? It means standing uncertainly at two ways. We, we say, why are you riding the fence? Saying, Jesus is saying, I've either got this or I don't. It's one or the other. It's black and white. It's not those thoughts that we have, but what if it, you know, maybe if it goes too long, maybe he's, maybe he's doing something else, maybe he doesn't care for me just as much. Maybe he's either got it or he doesn't, folks. Faith, our faith is only as significant as the person or the thing we have faith in. Peter wasn't, he didn't have faith in himself. He isn't saying, well, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. He's got faith in Jesus. And Jesus either has this or he doesn't. Now he's got little faith. But I don't think Jesus was coming down on him here. I think he, I think he had more faith than the other guys in the boat. And his faith was in Jesus. Jesus isn't shown to be trustworthy, worthy of our trust by Peter's belief in this passage. He's shown to be trustworthy once Peter actually steps out of the boat. You realize that? It's kind of like, you know, I'd love to go bungee rope jump, bungee jumping one day or, para, or go skydiving. Um, you know, a, a, a bungee harness and rope and everything and, and, and the parachute, you, you can talk about how much you trust in it, but until you actually get in it and do it, 
that's when you're really showing your faith in it. We can say that we trust them, but we don't, we don't see that they're trustworthy until we actually use them. You know, mothers, I understand that sometimes the hardest storms that you go through aren't the ones you go through. They're the ones your kids go through. They're the ones you, the people you love go through. And, and the temptation is that we want to just swing in and we just want to save them out of it. We just got to want to, we want to do whatever, pay whatever, uh, you know, uh, sacrifice whatever we need to do to save them from that. But God meets people in storms. He grows people through storms. It's in the storms that our beliefs become convictions. See, beliefs is just whatever you'd write on a test, the answer you would give if you were quizzed. A conviction is what you hold to even though it costs you. Even though it costs you. Moms, don't pay that cost to get them out of the storm. Pray that they will grow through the storm. It's when any of us are battered by the storms that we're reminded of what is important. And we should be grateful that our relationship with God is based on who Jesus is. It's based on what he has done. Jesus isn't standing there with a scorecard, like I said, holding there, grading you as you go through a storm. He's reaching out with his hands before you even falter. He is present. And he is aware. And lastly, I want to challenge you. Trust that God can be exalted in the storms. And, and, and when I say can be exalted, he should be exalted. He, he should always be exalted. The only question is whether you are going to catch a hold of that opportunity and exalt him, worship him. Know this, the high point of this event, of Jesus stilling this storm, of Jesus walking on the water, the most important moment is the confession and the worship of Jesus by the disciples that he is truly the Son of God. And what's going on in this moment, it's kind of like in the superhero movies. You know, Captain Marvel would be, would be one example, as lame as the final scene was, but, you know, like where they finally like show all their power, show all that they can do. Right? And the, and the uh, supporting characters are sitting there with their, they're staring, just blinking like, who is this person? Well, they knew at this point that this was the very Son of God in their midst for what he had done. C.H. Purgeon said, uh, any man can sing in the daytime, but it's only the man of faith can sing at night. And I'd say the purpose of the darkest Storms of night is to bring us to sing God's praise. And sometimes, most of the time, it's a work of the mind. It's a work of a renewed mind that believes he is there overcoming the feelings of the flesh. It's a trust of the mind. It's an acknowledgement, Lord, I can trust you. Lord, you are here. Lord, you do care. Lord, you have a purpose in this. Overcoming the, the, the emotions of the flesh in that moment. 
You know, um, we desire to be a people that are on gospel mission in our daily lives. And, and I was reminded as I was, I was talking with a friend recently that, that um, as they were sharing their testimony with me, and they, and they shared the fact that their, their brother had received Christ as their Savior. And, and they were kind of like, what is going on with him? I don't get it. But it wasn't until their brother lost his daughter. And they watched their brother go through that storm that they realized how significant their relationship with God was. Storms have that purpose of, of when we bring, glorify God, when we praise Him in the storm, that people are watching. People are watching. You know, in, in Acts 4, Jesus' followers, once again, Peter and the other P, others, they're about to go into a storm again. And a writer writes about it and he says, the disciples here in in Matthew had fed 5,000 people and then God permitted them to go through a storm. And in the book of Acts, they won 5,000 people. And then the storm of persecution began. No doubt Peter and the disciples recalled their storm experience with the Lord and they took courage. You know, God loves us through the storms. And just like I believe that that the earthly experience of a father with their child reflects the eternal truth of the the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, I believe a mother's love that that goes through the storms, that longs to go through the storms with their kids, reflects the love of God. And no matter how... Um, marred that is, no matter how distorted that is in the relationship that you might have with your mom or, or no matter how much you're, you're hurting by the fact that sin and death has taken your mom from you, you can know that the ideal, the ideal of a mother's love is a picture, is a small slice of God's love for us, his children. And we're, we have a little flower for, for each of the moms today. And I wanted to read the poem that is attached to it for you. And if you read it on the flower, you'll see it has all sorts of typos from me in it, and j which just proves that I needed my mom to proofread it for me. Um, it says, A Mother's Love is a Haven in the Storms of Life, in the title. It says, A Mother's Love is like the island in life's ocean, vast and wide a peaceful, quiet shelter from the restless, rising tide. A mother's love is like a fortress, and we seek protection there when the waves of tribulation seem to drown us in despair. A mother's love is a sanctuary where our soul can find sweet rest from the struggle and the tension of life's fast and futile quest. A mother's love is like a tower rising far above the crowd, and her smile is like the sunshine breaking through the threatening cloud. A mother's love is like a beam burning bright with faith and prayer. And through the changing scenes of life, we can find a haven there. A mother's love is fashioned after God's enduring love. 
It is endless and unfailing like the love of him above. For God knew in his wisdom that he wouldn't be physically there. So he put his little children in a loving mother's care. And God, just as much more so, eternally more so, infinitely more so, loves us as we're going through the storms, has a purpose for the storms, meets us in the storms, walks through those storms with us, can be exalted, is to be exalted in the storms of life. Let's bow our heads.